Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career, a special episode of The Code of Career, because those of you who are listening, or dare I say watching on Spotify and YouTube, you can suddenly see uh, two incredibly handsome men being beamed to you from the central belt of Scotland. Uh, I am, of course, joined by Colin. How are you doing, Colin? I'm great. This is a really cool format. I'm quite excited for this episode, and I'm looking forward to the conversation as well. Yeah, I'm really super good. excited. And uh, for, uh, you know, do forgive any technical mistakes because we're obviously new to this and any feedback as well uh, is totally welcome. We'd also really encourage people to watch this on YouTube as well, just to try and get um, a bit of traction on there relative to our other videos as well, because we're really trying to push that at the moment. And something I've been really loving actually is uh, Colin's recent video um, where he explains several concepts around APIs using a burrito, uh, which I think is really cool. <laughs> yeah, the good old burrito. The burrito's going to become the mascot of the coder career, I think, to be honest with you. <laughs> Burritos and Earl the cat. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like a cool little burrito game, actually, that I've been planning on getting a hold of for quite a while. I don't know. I don't know what you do in it, but like it's one of those board games where you like take the burrito and then you throw it or something. Have you seen you, that one? Do you know what? I played that in Belgium with my girlfriend's family and um, we're all wearing socks on a hardwood floor. And I can't remember who, it was either my girlfriend or one of her sisters um, slipped and properly banged her head while we were playing. <laughs> so if, if, if four people in their 20s have managed that, I don't know how, um, I don't know how kids would fare on it as well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it's fun. I don't really remember the details of the game. Maybe it was me and I took a bang on the head and I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. I want to get one of those burritos as a mascot anyway and like stick it up in, my, up in my shelf there next to like a bunch of other stuff that I've got. So yeah, should be fun. You make me hungry, man. I need to get down to Fresh Max. <laughs> yeah, shout out Fresh Max on Lothian Road. Those who know, know. Anyway, <laughs> so this week uh, we figured because this is kind of a test episode uh, in terms of the video format, uh, we've got, you know, a few things. Like if one of us makes a great joke, uh, we have like this. Hopefully that came through. Oh, I hit it twice. That's how funny it was. Uh, so we're going to try and keep this one a little bit more informal. And the, the theme of this uh, this week is actually just what we think is cool in tech right now. And you can really just think of this episode as imagine me and Colin uh, having a beer down one of the many fine establishments uh, in Edinburgh. Uh, and you've just got a mic to us uh, as well. So um, yeah, that's basically where we started. So I guess who better to hand over to? Colin, what, what are you excited about right now in the world of software? Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited for this chat. It's just going to be like a little a little tech chat, which which I think is always quite fun to to hear what people are thinking. So, yeah, one of the one of the things I'm I'm really loving at the moment, and and I'm doing a lot of it, um, like both in work and outside work, uh, is the next. Just absolutely loving next. And we've already we done our episode on Next JS, uh, a while a while back there. Like there was a last episode all about but all about Next and server side rendering. I just can't get enough of it. I think it's I think it's absolutely tremendous. So if you haven't watched that watched or listened to that episode, please please go back and, and and give it a listen. And there was a couple of little things on that episode that I that we never had time to shout out to. And one of the one of the things that's that's really cool, and we've just we've just started building the Quarter Career blog using this. It's a thing called MDX. It's like a it's like a really cool tool that works with um with Next, and you give it like a markdown file. And then what you can do is that you can it takes that markdown file and like just turns that into it statically renders that as um as like an HTML file, um and then that becomes your that becomes your page, which is like really cool. And there's like a few other kind of frameworks that that do that do that. 
and like a few other tools tools that do that but it's quite nice to be able to do it in next um have you heard of that mdx yeah well i mean only since you told me about it but having yeah. seen what you've been able to do with it it is really exciting and it's a nice kind of like light way way of adding content to uh, to your website like for example if someone's got a personal i know a lot of people that have a personal website where maybe for example they're listed i'm thinking i'm rebuilding my personal website right now and i'm thinking about mm. listing my podcast appearances like not just code a career but obviously i've guested around if, like i was on all the code a couple of months ago for instance um you know it's it, it's stuff like that uh, that i'm thinking about adding to to my uh to my personal website but you know i don't need something like contentful for that you know especially because i'm a developer myself just like merge it in i'm um, using it mdx so i think it's very cool and I, I like what you've done i'm pleased you put me on it actually because i think you can get a lot done with it yeah it's really cool the, the thing that blows my mind about it is just it's like it's not just markdown for next it's not just a case of like it's not just a case of like take the take the markdown file and turns it into html and sticks it on your next you know app it's it's more like actually what it does is, is it, it then it, and you can then bake react components into the rendered next like stuff it's so cool so if you have like a big if you've got like some statically generated like markdown stuff that's like a, a document or a blog page if you want to stick a like a react component in there you can and mdx lets you do that and it just client it just then client side renders that chunk or even server side renders it if there's nothing dynamically going on so it's just really really cool i absolutely love it um and i can't wait to like explore and, and do more and do more with it and um, it reminded me of something that I saw recently, like another new framework. And there's another, another loads of new framework called Astro. I was just about and to bring Astro up. Yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling you might. When you go. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it sounds like you may, you may have read more than me, but uh, the the real advantage of Astro is just like just how lightweight it is. And I think it's kind of, someone was saying, and I think it's funny, I mentioned all the code a minute ago. I think I was listening to all the code the other day and they were saying like, if you don't need all the use cases that Next has, like if you want something that's purely front end, like I think they were saying it's websites versus web apps. Um, and I think that's what Astro is amazing at. Like it's absolutely rapid very quick and i think as well i believe it's framework agnostic so it's not like you're tied into react or something i think you can use angular or you can use Vue or svelte which i think is great as well so you know it's it's something it could be the king of if you want to make something small and and, and rapid it could, it could be the way forward because you know these full stack frameworks like uh next and, and remix are the other two big ones um and i believe there's one called fresh which is built on top of uh, Dino as well. Um, but they are they are really great, but they're, they're pretty heavyweight. Whereas if you if you have something that is just great for your, your front end only, something like Astro seems like it could be really exciting. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I mean, I've not had a chance to look into it at all in detail. Like I read a little bit about it, watched a couple of videos, watched a couple of videos on the YouTubes. And um, uh, yeah, it seems really cool. Like, as you say, it's language agnostic, which... I don't quite understand how that's going to work yet, but it will be really fun to see how that fun to see how that pans out. But its main feature is basically that it supports it supports it's like websites, as you say. It's more it takes that whole rendering things to the extreme and says actually this is kind of going back to how we used to build websites and just have static HTML files, mm -hmm. but then it gives you the dynamic part, like. Um, and each script tag, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't quite fully understand it yet, but it's it's one to watch out for. Put it that way. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we're talking like marketing websites, personal personal portfolios yeah. and, and personal websites, I think it's it's that kind of use case. It's like, really, do you need much of a back end to your personal website? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, I think the one I'm building at the moment literally has no back end. Uh, I think I have some kind of like MailChimp integration where, um, you know, if you want to like keep a, keep abreast with what I'm doing, uh, then you can you can basically submit to the uh, to, to the mail list and I'll let you know if anyone cares. So, uh, nice. yeah, that, that that's basically what I'm building. And, I, you know, it doesn't need I think I am building in Remix just because I like Remix, but it doesn't need to be that heavy. I mean, I could try and do that uh, thing that Fireship does where he rebuilds the same thing 10 times. But I don't know if I. I don't know for the sake of my sanity if I could do that. He's got enough time. He's got clearly got the time though, right? I mean, like that's his entire job. So, <laughs> um, uh, I think as well, like I was going to just point out, like on a sort of like little bit of side note, which is really interesting for me is like next and this whole movement, like back to server side rendering and Astro and all these like projects and remix and all the view stuff that's going to be that's that's now moving to server-side rendering and like it's really interesting because it's it's just more evidence that 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 like the way that we build stuff over a long period of time is cyclical so like for example if we go back to if we go back to like um when i started when i first the very very first piece of html i ever i ever like like wrote was you like you write it on a on a on a text editor and then you like use an ftp client to like upload it to your server and then like the web server takes that html and then just like it literally just serves it you know it just says when someone gets this html file they grab the html and it gets sent to their client and the client their their, their browser just like renders the html and that's kind of how we built websites years ago we would just literally just hand write html and we would and then we moved away from that then I think called MVC came along, model view controller. It's this idea that what you do, what you do is you write HTML, but then you like template like little bits of it. So for example, if I want to have like like a a list of like a list of like um, uh, names that are like coming in my meetup, like in, in inside my like little web page, then what I'll do is I'll have like a you have like a little template language, and then you'll have like a for loop, and then it'll grab the stuff from the database and then it'll like stick it in that html file like on the back end and it'll like it'll technically server-side render it that's what it was doing back then but we just didn't call it server-side rendering because we just had we hadn't been through the obsession with client-side rendering that we've that we've had you know so and then it would like take generate an html file on the server and then it would send that send that back and it would do that pair pair request and then we were like, ah, nah, screw this. This is this is this is like, oh, this is not a good way to do it. And we went down the route of like client side rendering everything. And you know, we've we've got a whole episode on React. If you want to listen to more about, listen to me talk more about <laughs> like that stuff and ha- let us chat about that. And then next comes along and goes, actually, let's take what we learned with 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 React and let's take what we learned like in the old school way of doing it and like stick them together and make it so that we've get the get the best of both. And I really like how you know things are. Nothing ever changes, basically. You know, like it's nothing's. There's nothing new about 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 this stuff, which is quite nice. Um, but it feels new because it's it's done in a kind of it's done in a modern way, and we now have the benefit of like knowing how to how to do all this cool JavaScript bundling that we didn't know how to do before. So there's just tons of really cool benefits to 
these kind of cyclical nothing ever changes type things you know yeah absolutely i wonder if one trend that could come back is how uh programming used to be much more verbose in terms of like uh i can't think of the right word but like keywords i guess like think of something like uh COBOL, um which is still one of the best ways to make money uh mainly because everyone that wrote it is now retired so you know i, I absolutely love these stories these people that like retired 15 years ago and are now coming back into the workplace and getting absolutely paid i love that um but you know it was much more from what i understand COBOL was far more verbose much more like writing uh you know a natural language like english or or, or whatever so um i wonder if we could end up going back towards that but you know, I, I I don't know. Could could happen? Uh, maybe because people might see it as more accessible. But then the counter argument is, if it's all in English anyway, it's not accessible for people who don't have English as their first language. So that that's an interesting one. Um, whether it will come around or not, I don't know. I don't know how much desire there is for that. Really, I mean, what what do you think? For I mean, like by by verbose, do you mean do you mean like um like more like English and like not like not as language syntax heavy or expression heavy or yeah so verbose as in yeah as in like just explaining so i can't think of a good example but um on a on a small level i know like golang the function keyword mm. is fun, whereas javascript mm. it's function so just yeah. something like that in that vein i would consider the javascript keyword more verbose than the golang keyword I can't think of the, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, uh, COBOL, um, unfortunately. Uh, so otherwise it would be going into a bank and earning three grand a day. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, 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 that's the kind of direction I'm talking about. I wonder if it could go that way to be more accessible because, um, you know, people want ease of use, but now that I'm, I'm uh, now that I'm talking about it, maybe actually if English is a second language, of course, it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy at all. So maybe not. I think, um, Talking about programming term, uh, like um, programming, the future of programming and like the kind of where it's all going to go. I think, I think things are probably going to get a lot less verbose actually, um, potentially, because things are going to start. We're going to start to use Rust a lot more. We're going to start to use low-level programming languages a lot more in the future than we than we have in the past. Like. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I think JS is like down or gone or anything like that, but in order to cram and squeeze out more performance out of the client, out of the browser, JS kind of has to evolve somehow, and it might and it might involve in like the way of like Wasm web WebAssembly. So Wasm is really cool in that you basically write at a programming language, a high-level programming language of some kind, and then it compiles it down to, um, it's basically like a kind of standard um, assembly language that most modern browsers, like very modern browsers, um, can understand. But it's like highly, highly compiled. Um, it's not quite machine code, um, but it'll be. It's very close to that, and it can be translated very quickly from the intermediate language that it is to machine code. Mm. And there's like something like there's a lot of Yeah. Well, I guess yep. hence the name, it's, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's so I don't think if you look at WebAssembly like instructions, like in the compiled form, I don't think they'd look like x86 or ARM or those are like the chip architectures mm -hmm. for like, you know, your, your computer and your phone. Um, I don't think they'd look like them. Um, 
it's designed to 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 not be anything like them. I don't I think, but it, my understanding is that your browser can can run that can run those instructions like significantly quicker, and they're significantly closer to the to the to the actual bare metal instructions that you're running than than likes of interpreting JavaScript. Um, so there's been really cool there's been really cool like uh, stuff happening with WebAssembly. Um, and for example, what it means is, is if you can, if you can like, you can take like a native application. So one of the things that's happened is that the people that all, who do AutoCAD have, have basically like taken AutoCAD, which I think was written in, in almost entirely in C++. And it's like a, it's AutoCAD's like a 3D, like modeling, um, design, um, computer design, like package, uh, for like doing like, you know, uh, blueprint type drawings and industrial type designs and stuff like that so they took my understanding is that they, they've taken the c++ source code for like autocad autocad 3d and then they've like compiled it with what with like a wasm compiler to run in the browser and it runs like really fast on the browser and um, whereas if you you could basically have never done that with with like you could never it would have taken them years to convert it over to like running using react or something like that um but it only didn't take them anywhere near as long to like build a a completely native application and run it in the browser so i think things are going to get like a lot more verbose and we're going to have to use a lot more things like 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 rust and we're maybe going to have to like there's going to be like an intermediary between like what we're doing with js and what we're doing with rust and what we're doing with c plus plus and c and kind of lower 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 level, lower level languages, and they're gonna they're gonna like uh, converge at some point, maybe, um, which is which is pretty interesting. Have you heard of the WebAssembly stuff? Yeah, so I actually, if people want to listen back, this is uh, this, this is a remarkably good callback. Actually, um, I did an episode with Billy Williams from uh, from Otter, um, and I think it it's uh, I'm thinking on top of my head now. It must be around episode thirty two. Uh, I want to say, um, and he's quite interested in the whole WebAssembly thing. So people want to um, check that out, then because um, he knew far more than me. So it is it is a really interesting topic, and I think it's funny you bring up Rust uh, in relation to that because I do think Rust has been really in the uh, at, in at the side, ready to come in um, to the forefront uh, in, in the wings, as it were, um, because I think it's been consistently top of Stack Overflow uh, surveys for most of language for a long time. Um, and it is, uh, and hold your breath here, Colin. Um, it is absolutely loved in web three, uh, <laughs> um, which, you know, uh, is a, like or not is, is a, is a huge industry in of itself. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those things that it is getting very close, uh, to becoming an absolute huge language. And, uh, whilst I, I doubt either of us would re- really recommend people learn it off the cuff, if, if, if you want to. Uh, learn it as your first language. Um, we, I would still not. That I want to speak for you, Colin, but I, I think we would both agree JavaScript or Python uh, is probably language one. But if you want to pick up another language later on, like say GoLang or or, or, uh, or something like that, maybe maybe Rust is the way to go. Um, maybe two years into your career. I mean, what, what what do you reckon, Colin? This is like such an interesting segue of the conversation. I was having a I was having a chat with some people on LinkedIn the other day about this about. And I've I I I, I taught at three for three years at a, at a boot camp in in, in Scotland and um, yeah I've, I've I've gained quite a lot of opinions about what, what a good first programming language is and I I actually think that a really good first programming language for people to learn would be Java, right? Like 
and here's here's my reasoning for this, right? So when when you're learning how how how, how, how write code you you've you've got to understand the a few things you've got to understand the rules of the language that's the first thing you've got to understand um the types and how they work and they'll kind of have a kind of connection to the rules of the language and then you also have to understand the conventions of the language so oh like for example like in this language we do this this way that's what a convention means and and the rules and the rules of a language are often like a little bit different from the conventions of a language and in interpreted languages. So for example, um, um, languages like Python, Ruby, um, and JavaScript, those, those tend to not have a stronger type system. Um, and because of that, they have runtime types as, as they can be referred to. So like, a runtime type is, for example, if I if I have a Ruby, if I have a if I write something in Ruby, if I make a variable in Ruby and I assign it a string, like when I assign that val that val variable a string, that variable becomes a string. If I then reassign that variable to an integer, a number, or a boolean or, or something different, that then that type then changes. So what I learned when teaching people how to program was that. I was trying to get them to understand the rules of the language, and I was also trying to get them to understand the, understand the type system behind the language. And the type system at that point is essentially entirely in their head, right? Like if I say, you know, um, my variable equals open quotation colon close quotation, then that's that variable becomes a string. If I then say my variable equals number one that then that variable then becomes an int. It's really important to get people to understand the type system. But if the type system's not written right there in front of you, you're you've got to imagine that. So I called I would start to refer to these as imaginary types, as runtime types, as types that like that are hard to get people to understand. And basically from teaching those languages as to complete beginners, that's really, really, really tough. It's like really hard to like get people to understand the, the type of that thing is a string because they can't see that written down. They have to imagine that in their head. And then let's say that like they've got a, a big app with a good few lines of code, like a, for, a, for a beginner anyway, and it calls a few functions. So I say, if I say to someone, what type is that? They, they, they have to then trace that type, that back to where it gets assigned it's a value, which it could be reassigned the value and it could be reassigned types, you know, in, in likes of Ruby and Python. It could be reassigned types like several times, like throughout the execution of that application. And in my experience, that is a real, 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 like bit of confusion for, for beginners. On the flip side, if they can write something that says, my variable, which is a string, has this value, then that means that that can only ever be a string and it will have a string and you can see it written there. And that's called, I know you know this, that's called statically typed languages. It's a, it means that you, when you write the, the, the code, you can see that it's a string. You can, you know, because you literally write the word string. And that means that it can own, that, that variable can only ever hold string types. And I think when teaching somebody, and I've taught people from very scratch Python and Ruby, and I've taught people from very scratch Java, 
in my experience, it's it's like a complete night and day system. They get the type system so much quicker than they than they get the than they get it if they have to try and imagine the types. So controversially, I think something like something that has static types is a really, really, really good first language for people to learn because they'll pick it up. They pick up the type system so much quicker. <laughs> That's an interesting perspective, you know, because I've I've never really thought about it that way. And I'm someone that learned dynamic first. And I think let's segue and we'll be back in a minute into our sponsor here because I think um, you know, you've mentioned teaching at the boot camp. So we're gonna hear about CodeClan now uh, and we'll be back in a second. The Coder Career Podcast is brought to you by CodeClan. As the only coding boot camp in Scotland. CodeClan is a fantastic way for people in Edinburgh and Glasgow to learn to code in person. And if you're elsewhere in the UK, you can still benefit from their remote cohorts. With over 1,500 graduates, 70% of which get a full-time job within six months at one of CodeClan's 390 hiring partners, CodeClan is a fantastic place to make a change in your career. CodeClan is also making great strides towards reducing the gender gap in technology. With over 25% of their alumni now being female, with this rapidly growing. With average starting salaries of around £30,000, a world-class curriculum and a forward-thinking organisation, CoClan is the place to be. As a former senior instructor at CoClan, Colin can tell us even more. Yeah, absolutely. CodeClan is an absolutely phenomenal um, place, place to be, place to work, place to study. It's a coding bootcamp and it does full-time professional software engineering and data courses. Um, the software engineering course is called the PSD and the data course is called the PDA. Um, both these courses are 12 to 16 weeks full-time. They are fully instructor-led, which is 100% instructor interaction. That's one of the things that really sets them apart from other other courses that you can take. For example, you can do quite a lot of courses online for coding and software engineering that are not instructor-led and are maybe through like a learning platform. Whereas CodeClan stuff, whether it's remote or in-person, they're fully instructor-led. You can literally stop the instructor halfway through a lesson to ask a question. And if anything, that's actually that's actually encouraged. The whole course is designed to take someone who has very little experience all the way up to a junior software engineer, such that they're able to, to become a junior software engineer in an organization. And the course hits on all of the basics, uh, mostly around Python, JavaScript, Java. But as well as that, the software engineering principles and all of the really important fundamentals behind software engineering and coding and clean code, that all gets taught in this interactive, immersive way at CodeClan. One of the great things, other great things about CodeClan is that people often say, can, can I learn like Rust or can I learn Swift or something like that? You actually can't like learn tons and tons and tons and tons of things on the course because there only is so much time and there only you can only fit in so many like languages and skills but one of the great things about it is that it gives you the ability to learn those things later on it doesn't just say here here's react and here's javascript and whatever else and then off you go the instructors that you you get on on code clan are, are so helpful and they're so good at knowing exactly what people are thinking and feeling at various points in the course because it is a very intensive course and um, but at least there's between two to four instructors per class and that's for both remote classes and in-person classes. And everyone learns in the in the cohort at the same pace, which is excellent. It's really good to know that, for example, the way that they teach on the course, which is so important to me, 
the way that they teach is that they, they use a lot of what we called code alongs. And a code along is where an instructor kind of quite slowly and methodically codes out something in front of the class, whether it's on Zoom or in person in the classroom. And then the class slowly like code that thing together. We call that a code along. And that's actually a really powerful way to learn because you're seeing the actual coding process happen in front of you, but you're also being taught at the same time. And as a participant, as a student, what you can actually do is you can stop and you can have a conversation and you can ask questions. CodeClan is kind of a life-changing thing. I've seen dozens and dozens and hundreds of people go through it in the time that I was there. And it was genuinely, genuinely life-changing for, for every single one of them. Um, they managed to you know, get jobs as software engineers, you know, junior software engineers in the industry. And even now, uh, being a couple of years uh, ago that I worked there, I know many of the people I know are now mid, mid-level, kind of senior level engineers. So it's having a huge impact on people's lives and in a way that I couldn't even, I couldn't even describe. It's pretty awesome. Um, to get more information about CodeClan, go to codeclan.com and slash events, codeclan.com slash events to learn more and to register for a workshop. The workshops that they do are kind of like a way of you figuring out if you want to come along to CodeClan and, and, and join and join up and, and, and do the course. And it's a really great way of figuring out if, if this is the sort of thing that's going to be useful to you. Please give it a try if you're thinking about it. I highly recommend it. It's absolutely fantastic, genuinely life-changing. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. Um, as someone that learned Dynamic First, so I learned uh, JavaScript uh, and Python, basically, off the bat, uh, mainly JavaScript. Here's my only counter-argument to that, because yes, I do think learning types is important, and it does help you with the fundamentals. Would you not say that with the advent of TypeScript becoming so popular in the last couple of years, that now javascript has static types that people can learn relatively easy alongside or even just after their javascript fundamentals would you not say uh that you can achieve the same thing by just learning typescript with javascript or would you say java is still superior in that respect and for people who aren't familiar java and javascript are very different and we we know it's confusing that their name's similar um unfortunately that decision was made when uh, me and colin were either not born or still in school so um please don't come at us (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was in school. Uh I was in primary five. Um yep. So uh I think so I think it's really difficult to teach TypeScript to JavaScript beginners. Um I've tried and it's pretty tricky, and that's because TypeScript is pretty tricky, right? Like I mean it's it's easy to like do some basic TypeScript, but it's very difficult to do some advanced TypeScript. Uh, you'll know yourself anytime you like go to like import a type a library that has TypeScript stuff. Like some, sometimes understanding those types can actually be really complex. Like because the they're it's usually heavily templated, um, which means it uses generics to say like okay this function or this this object can can take two types and one is a T and one is a V or whatever you know and those 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 mean generics in 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 the context of 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 TypeScript. So I, I think it's really hard to teach TypeScript to complete beginners. I would only teach TypeScript to um, people who are who get JavaScript and have been doing a fair bit of JavaScript for a bit. So, and that's because TypeScript isn't, an, uh, isn't, a, isn't and shouldn't be seen as a language in itself. It is not, it is an extension to JavaScript. So 
like you know when when i write typescript i don't write typescript any different from how i write javascript i write i basically write javascript and i sprinkle on some types and you know it's then up to you your team and the people you're working with to decide how much down that rabbit hole you wish to go um like you might only want to like use it for a couple of things and that's the kind of really cool thing about about typescript but yeah that that wasn't the, that wasn't the question. Do you like TypeScript? And the answer to that question is, is, of course, absolutely yes. I think it's awesome. The question was, should should you te- teach TypeScript at the same time you're teaching JavaScript, and then that gives you the types? I would say actually no. Um, uh, yeah, just from just from personal experience, and like they're they're not like they're not like one language in the same way that like like C sharp is as one language that has the types built in. And Java is one language that has a types built in, and Rust has one language that has a types built in, and you know, insert statically typed language of choice, you know, here uh, C plus plus. If you even feel feel as strongly about that as as, as that, but um, yeah, <laughs> to answer your question, yeah, pre- pretty much. I mean, and I, I think as well, to be honest. Uh, Java, Python, or JavaScript, you're going to be finding on a job market as well. Um, I think whilst we're talking about the technical um, specifications of it, I think something that's a bit unique about the coder career is that each of us have spent a lot of time um, working with people that are getting their first or second jobs in tech. And um, I think something to really consider is how marketable the language is. And I think really with any of those three, you're going to be fine. Um, I think it's when people start, like, for example, if you learn Rust off the back, which uh, as your first language even, like first off you're gonna have a tough time uh and second off there's not many junior jobs using rust out there uh, at least not that i've seen um and it's still fairly niche i think you know i think the problem is particularly people that are quite plugged into the tech industry and and it's great if you are and like you're listening to this podcast and you're following the right people and you know you follow dan abramov on twitter if you're a react developer you know something like that and you're plugged into the industry and you're thinking about what's the most cutting edge thing that's awesome but there's a very good chance your first job is going to be somewhere in a random town um, working on a system that is 10 years old. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you'll learn some you'll learn some really good lessons from that, especially if you're having to migrate that system. However, you are not going to be using React 18 uh, <laughs> uh, and you're not going to be optimizing things using Rust. It's, it's important that you consider what's the most marketable language, um, both globally and then also as well within your area, particularly if you're in a market where remote work isn't the norm uh is something really really worth considering like if all if for whatever reason all the local companies around you use c sharp or even php maybe that's what you have to learn like i know i tell people regularly don't learn php but if that's the only jobs in your area and it's not and it's not usual to work remote where you're from then you know uh learn php and then learn something else <laughs> what, what what do you reckon definitely um yeah i mean i've got a similar i've got a similar opinion on that if we're if we're dispensing advice which obviously we often do in this podcast it's kind of one of the reasons it exists um then i would take a slightly different a, a slightly different slant while i mostly agree i would say if you're if you're picking a first language which is kind of where, where we've ended going with this conversation which i really love um then you're then pick a first language that helps you understand programming uh, in, in my opinion um um just from my experience of of teaching people that first language that you learn is really important to get your head around because like if if you don't pick up programming and how to solve problems using pro like code and programming you know solutions then 
like no matter how many languages you compound on top of that you're you're never you're probably always going to struggle a bit if that makes sense so my advice is slightly different and that is pick a language for your first programming language that you think that you'll be able to understand really well and can get a lot of support with and that's why for the most part people choose really popular languages like and they sh- and they should do uh, like python and even javascript and um java like people do pick it as a first program first programming language just not as often as they should i i don't think but um uh, python javascript uh, ruby like not a great first language in my opinion but that's just that's just my opinion um and Whereas then, seven yeah. or eight years ago it would have been though because it's so marketable although maybe not the best for the fundamentals no. No, I'm, I'm I'm talking less. I'm from from my opinion, like from my advice, um, is is my, my personal advice is 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 don't go for market marketable. Go for something that you're going to be able to like completely understand the fundamental. It's going to help you understand the fundamentals of programming, and um, and I guess marketable is definitely part of it. Like for example, right? Like I'm never going to say to someone, go and learn like. Go and I'm never I'm never going to go and say to someone go and learn Rust as your first language because that's bad that's just generally bad advice, but that's because it's a really complex language and because it's not marketable to juniors as you quite rightly said. But I'm also I'm also not the kind of person that would advise like let's say like next year let's let's say next year for example Rust does become the like biggest program language and it takes over everything and it's like insanely popular and every job demands Rust. I would probably then still, still, still say, don't learn Rust as your first programming language because mm. it's it's complicated and it's difficult to. You're you're going to struggle to learn that as your first language, right? Like, which is why there are like, which is kind of one of the reasons why there are more programmers now than there ever were because years and years ago, we only had languages like, like C plus plus and C, you know. So if you imagine being a learning how to program in the, in the like this the like the eighties for example you know when when these languages existed um in the nineties in the early the really early nineties um then it would be a lot harder to become a programmer because the programming languages were mega complex so like I would say pick a language that you think that you're gonna be able to learn um and you think that's gonna give you like the fundamentals of programming and software engineering and and to my and for my money and for my my personal opinion like and you know we can all have our own like personal opinion on that i think which is really good so you can take advice from a combination of both of us um i think that something like java gives you the whole package right it gives you the, the ability to understand what interfaces are it gives you the ability to understand what certain types of object oriented programming techniques are like polymorphism it lets you understand templates it lets you understand like like functional little bits and pieces as well like streams and uh, lets you understand so many different things that that you're getting a lot of bang for your buck in terms of your learning as that first program language and if so people want to learn java i think you recommend amigos code that um yes. or go to code clan <laughs> who are sure. running events and the podcast is brought to you by CoClan. But if you want to, um, if you want to taste it, you can go to one of their events. Uh, but as well, like if, you, if you're not in Scotland uh, or not in the UK, cause you can do CoClan remotely. Um, then uh, yeah, Amigos code, I think is one you recommend, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. It's a good, good course. There's quite a few decent Java, Java courses on online and like 
I think Java is actually really, really cool. And, and like, I was going to chat a little bit about that as well. There's some really cool stuff happening in Java. And I think it, 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 I, I'm very much, um, I'm very much like one of these people that like, I'm actually a Java programmer. That's, that's, that's one of my big, one of my big things. And I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of like this, um, oh, this is the sexy language. And oh, and that's not a sexy language because actually like it, it might sound, I think it, I don't think a lot of people agree with me on this, but Java can, Java is a really sexy language. There's some really cool stuff you can do with Java. So one of the biggest things in Java, for example, is a thing called Spring and Spring Boot, which is a massive, massive, massive framework that lets you do some really, 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 really cool things. And it's very popular and it, it's growing all the time. It's been around for quite a while. It's, it, is tend, it does tend to be used more in places like banks and things. And that's maybe one of the reasons why Java gets a bit of a bit of a slightly bad rap on the opinion wise. I think it's because people see it in the bank and go, oh, it's like a bank language or whatever. But it does move very quickly. There's a lot of updates to Java, like um, and there's a lot of really cool features going on. And Spring and Spring Boot are 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 like very widely widely supported and really easy to easy to like get get into and understand. And one of the other really cool things that's happening about Java recently, just while we're talking about that is a thing called GraalVM. Now GraalVM is like mega cutting edge compiler technology. And what that lets you do is it lets you take a Java program and it lets you run it natively. Now that might sound like, what's the big deal there? And the big deal there is is actually that, uh, just this a little bit, is actually that when you run a Java program, it actually doesn't run on your machine it doesn't run on like the it doesn't get compiled to what we call like a native assembly like like as a native binary it runs on the jvm which is another another program on your on your computer designed to run that um and that's got really big benefits like backward compatibility between different versions of java forward compatibility between different versions of java and it also means that things that you can it can that the jvm it can run other languages too so it's not just java that runs in the jvm so for example the programming language kotlin which is getting a lot of popularity runs on the jvm so does groovy so does scala so does closure there's tons and tons and tons of languages that compile to a thing called bytecode that then run on the jvm so they run inside the this app called java runtime which runs on your computer but so that's been really really good because it's it's helped with like a lot of a lot of really cool progression in the Java in the Java ecosystem. But only now in the last like couple of years, there's been some really cool compiler technology invented called GraalVM that lets you then take your your Java code and compile it all the way to a complete native binary. Um and that's insane because that means that your Java app doesn't have to like run on the JVM anymore. And that means it's going to run so much faster. And it's going to run in with, with a really small memory footprint. And it's going to use barely any RAM. And and the most important thing is it's going to start like super fast. So I work with, work with Spring, Boot, Spring Boot at work quite a lot. And Spring Boot applications tend to take, to start to start up, it tends to take between like one, like between like five to 10 seconds, sometimes 30 seconds to like start a Spring Boot app. Just because it's doing a lot of stuff and Spring Boot's got a lot going on. But you can basically run a spring boot app from zero to like ready to go 
and a, that means like, like a big application in like a second or less with GraalVM. It's very cool. There's a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of underrated innovation going on in something like Java. And as you say, Colin, like don't just think it's like a banking thing. Like both of us work for very cool companies that use Java heavily as our day jobs. And, you know, uh, they're really both really, we're both working on really interesting stuff. I mean, you do a lot more backend stuff than me, but, um, you know, I see the, I see what the backend people are doing in, uh, at my job and it is very cool. Um, I think we're sort of like reaching all we got time for today though. And um, I want to say a massive thank you to CoClan. And we're, we're just so excited to be in a partnership with them now. Uh, as obviously as Colin uh, knows, he's taught there and it, it's an amazing uh, place to study. So please do go and go and check that out. But th- thanks so much for everyone for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for everyone. That's a really good chat, Cameron. Let's do this again. Yeah, we should. We should do it every other week and release it on a Monday. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to know what people think of the format as well. So ping us a message uh, on the Discord. If you're not on the Discord, join the Discord, thequittercareer.com slash Discord. We'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And uh, we hope the video has gone off without a hitch. Uh, as Colin says, like, let us know the feedback, both in terms of content and then anything technical as well. Uh, all right. Cheers, everyone. Bye.